Have you ever wondered how you can better communicate with people, understand yourself more, and recognize your own emotions inside of situations? Today, I'm joined by Tammy Ebright. She's the founder of Unleash Your Amazing. Her mission is to create more awareness through self-discovery to heal our communities from toxic behaviors. I'll tell you, we're going to go through my results, pull no punches, sight unseen. And I'll, I will admit that I read the initial results, and I actually recognize some of my own reactions in already without having talked to Tammy. So I understand the power of it. Tammy, thanks so much for being here. Can you tell us a little more about yourself and what you do? Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. I'm um, excited to share this information and help help you understand your report a little bit better. Um, I got started teaching this um, after um, having some life challenges myself and leaning into a sales training organization that had a really big focus on DISC and driving forces. And that's where I began getting a baseline about seven years ago now. And when I decided to start my own business, one of the first things I did was get certified in some of the sciences that had really helped me personally grow. So can you explain a little bit more about what DISC is for people that aren't familiar with it? So DISC is how we prefer to communicate. It is an observable language. And once you really begin understanding it, you can um, watch people like at parks or at shopping centers and begin to really become aware of how they would prefer to be communicated with. Because again, it's an observable language of communication. So one of the things that just in getting ready to speak to you today, if I understand this right, DISC has continued to evolve as the science has evolved. So it's not a static system that's been the same since the beginning. Is that accurate? Yeah. Um, so, and, and that, that is a big differ differentiator too, is the uh, assessment that you get is really important to be able to get the most accurate results um, because a lot of people are out there teaching DISC, but it's you know based on the the initial principles that that it was defined with you know several years ago um, by Marston. As it's evolved with the science through the years, um, now the the company that I use the assessment the provider. Um, actually looks at the highs and the lows of how we communicate to get more accurate uh, results. And you, the tool is designed to be used by individuals, for people with their sales teams, and for managers to understand how to communicate with their employees. Is that pretty yes. much on point? Yeah, that is. Uh-huh. So I'll share with you, I sent it out to my business partner and a couple other people at the end, but if you don't mind, let's just kind of jump into what it is, jump into some of my results and just talk through it if that works for you. Okay, that sounds good. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen. So That'd be great. let's see, uh, did that share okay? Yep, it's perfect. Okay, so um, today we're actually gonna talk a little bit about DISC, which again is the observable language of communication driving forces, which is um, motivators. So why do you get out of bed each day? What's important to you? And then emotional quotient, emotional intelligence, which is our, our emotional response to what's going on in, in our environment. And the one science that really is um, the most changeable is the EQ, emotional intelligence. 
So, but first let's talk a little bit about your personal DISC. So DISC is an acronym, acronym, acronym that stands for uh, D is like dominance and it's how we solve problems and challenges. So the higher D um, and your D is fairly high. It's um, at 80 points here or 78. And um, so you probably tend to solve problems in a pretty straightforward, quick manner uh, where the lower D will um, need more time to solve problems. They're still great problem solvers, but they're going to take their time to do it and they're gonna need more information. The I is start, stands for influence and it's how you influence other people to your point of view. And so the higher the I, the more wordy and social they'll tend to be, where the lower I will tend to be more reflective. The S stands for steadiness. And so it's the pace of the environment that we prefer. So the higher S prefers a really fast paced environment where the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the lower S prefers a faster paced environment. The higher S actually prefers a pretty steady, consistent pace. And the C is about compliance. It's rules and procedures that are set by others. And the higher you are, the more you really respect and prefer rules and procedures and to kind of know all the information and to get lots of information. And the lower seat prefers to, you know, make quicker decisions or um, doesn't need as much information. So I'm just going to use my results as an example. So when I, right, when I saw where I ranked on the dominant scale, it doesn't surprise me. In previous tests, I'd been driver, driver, and everything at that end of the chart with other methodologies. And so I sent this off to some people, and they're like, yep, you, you, you will listen, and then whether it's your idea or not, you'll decide on the best thing, and we're just gone. It's over. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. Is that a typical, of, you know, that kind of range where just make a decision and go? Yes. Well, and then when you pull in your results, um, you, we want to look at your motivators too. So your driving forces. So commanding is your number one uh, motivator and driving force. So you tend, so that along with the D will tend to be definitely quicker decisions, leadership, you know, it's my way or the highway could be somehow some of the, the characteristics that, that you feel. Um, what I thought was really interesting when I was looking at your driving forces results is um, you actually, it looks like you're pulling from six of the six out of 12 of the driving forces. And so I don't have all of them on the screen here, but um, your commanding uh, driving force will be um, pretty, uh, uh, what's considered um, it's not extreme, but it's passionate. So you're passionately commanding. Uh, when you look over here at the indifferent with the collaborative, which would be the opposite of that, you tend to maybe not be that collaborative. Is that correct? Well, you know, it's interesting. So I, I actually looked at it through two lenses. Mm -hmm. When it's getting to an end result, I think I'm actually super collaborative and it doesn't need to be my idea. But I'm a sales leader for 30 years. 
Yeah. And the number is the number is the number. So do I, if we get to that number, I'm willing to be absolutely collaborative, right? To get to the number, but the number is what it is. <laughs> and, and so I, I found myself wrestling with that a little bit, to be honest. Okay. Well, tell me more about that. So, you know, I know I've realigned territories. I've rebuilt comp plans. I've rebuilt customer segmentations all based on people's input of what was best for them and for the business and for the customer, right? And there were ideas I'd never have. And actually it's one of my hallmarks is to be able to go in, look at what has worked, what, what hasn't worked, collect that information, and then frankly build the structure to go forward. Now, once we say go, I am a go guy, right? Mm -hmm. But it was interesting to me that I didn't rank, you know, higher on collaborative because outside of the end outcome, you know, I think that is actually one of the areas I always thought I did well at. Well, so collaborative tends to be more of people that um, are driven by being in a supporting role. So I can yeah. see that like when you are helping clients, it's a different role. You may feel like you're collaborative on it, but, you know, because at the end of the day, they're going to make the decision for their business. And so that's a little different than the standard collaboration where you're working with your business partners and you guys are coming to terms and making, uh, making decisions together. I, I'm the every, when, when you're a hammer, everything's a nail guy. <laughs> 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 and it's okay. I know that I've actually said that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so where you're going to want to be aware of um, that um, is when you're working with people that are collaborative because they, um, like, for example, um, my daughter is uh, actually, she's a higher D than I am, but she has that and I'm commanding too, um, but she is collaborative. And so what I would see from her is she would come to me and be like, you know, which outfit should I wear? And I can see her on like Instagram doing polls for people to get feedback. And I'm like, what D would I ever know that would be out there asking for somebody's feedback on what you're going to wear? Like that didn't really understand until I tested her and I could see that that collaborative, she needs people's feedback. So when you're working with somebody that's collaborative and that's their value, giving them the feedback when they ask you the questions and not just brushing them off will be really important to make them feel good in the situation. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it, it, I really had, until I tested her, I had a harder time reading her just because that, that one value was really throwing me off because she acts like a high D but she wanted people's opinions on things. And I was, that just didn't really resonate with me until I understood that that's the collaboration piece. She, she needs input. People that are collaborative want input for other people because they're trying to um, do what's right for everybody. Okay. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So um, when you, so let's go back up here on the, 
these are the words. So when you're taking the DIST test, you're um, actually answering the same 24 questions um, that are worded in different ways. So these would be the words that you picked more than others. Does anything about that stand out to you? No, I, actually, I thought it was pretty dead on. <laughs> okay. okay. And then the one thing that I noticed in your disc too is um, you prefer more of an organized workspace, but right now you're adapting down to, you know, maybe things aren't as organized. Does that have anything to do with like what's going on in, in our country right now? Or do you, you think- So that I'm actually, I'm launching two early stage companies, right? And mm -hmm. so if you look at a typical corporate command and control, or even a company that's at market, you already have processes, mm -hmm. right? So my adapt, my adapting is we're still figuring out markets for two of my biggest clients. We're still figuring out the messaging and everything with that. And some of that is I'm not at a point to hit that, just go. So I think and that certainly could be reflective of that because I'm trying to learn space. I didn't traditionally work in AI and machine learning and I didn't work in the app space. I'm an IT security and telecom and networking guy by trade, right? So being in those new spaces has required a whole new skill set, whole new vocabulary, and frankly, trying to figure out what messaging resonates at the customer level. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so you know your disc is kind of what it is. You're you're highly driven, but you're also pretty analytical, which is not very surprising. A lot of sales leaders really are have that high D, high C. Um, a lot of in corporations, especially, that's um, what a lot of people will look out for is somebody that is has that. Um, any awareness that I would recommend would probably just be in um, being aware of it and then socializing with the people your sales teams tend to be more, you know, high D, high I, or high I, where they're telling you the stories and stuff. So understanding that, um, that we're nurturing people and we're listening to them, even though our mind, the high D's mind is like kind of really quickly moving on, those high I's are going to want to tell lots of stories and the high S's are going to need a little more nurturing. So making sure that you're, you're also like, um, adapting your skills in to be able to meet their conversation needs would be just a recommendation. And it's interesting. That's one of the areas that, frankly, even after reading the results on my own, I recognized that I was doing in some places because, you know, if you can give it to me in two sentences and a bullet point, or better yet, a sentence and two bullet points, I get it and, and right. And I'll ask my questions from there. If you give it to me in a soliloquy, unless it's a Shakespeare, I've probably tuned out. Right. Yeah, that makes, makes a lot of sense. And um, understanding, so what I tell people that when they're, they're working with, with a Heidi or like, tell me the end of the story first. <laughs> if you could tell me the end of it, I might be able to like focus on the, the 500 squirrels that you're gonna hit as we're going through. And then, so when I'm dealing with somebody that likes to tell me lots of stories, I'm like, where are you, can you tell me where you're going first? <laughs> and it's just something that I do to make sure that I can also meet my own needs with communication, you know? So I can really pay attention and be present for people. 
It's so funny you say that because I'll be like, okay, did we win the deal or not? Do you have the PO? Yes. Okay, now you can tell me everything. I just need to know yes or no because I need to know what direction we're going at the end. <laughs> so back down, let's look at your, um, your values again, the driving forces. Sure. Okay, so another awareness. So all of your, your driving forces, you're very passionate about um, like intentional. So intentional is the value where it's people that are driven to help others for a specific purpose. So you see um, probably how networking and people can kind of work together, but you're not necessarily going to just help people just to be supportive. You're going to help people with an intention behind helping them. And so again, just awareness on the other side of that, because your um, altruistic is at zero, is making sure that the people that you're working with that um, do value that, that you um, are becoming aware of, of that. So it just helps to mediate any challenges. Because think about like DISC is what we see above the surface. And our driving forces, our motivators, or those are what's down deep inside us. And that's really where relationships um, fall apart is whenever our driving forces aren't similar. Um, in working relationships, it's important to have a full spectrum of the wheel um, on your teams. But when we're um, dealing with people one-on-one -on -one or um, even in romantic relationships, making sure that we value the same things is really important. Yeah. So, so those, those are interesting to me because I'll be honest, I looked at some of the questions and I couldn't, especially on empathy, right? And I knew they were, I knew that was an empathy answer, but it always went to the bottom of the list because I'm like, well, there's the number, there's a process to get to the number, there's this, there's collaboration. And then if somebody feels good, great. Right. And, you know, and, and some of the questions I'm just like, you know, and, and so there's a real backstory here that maybe you'll find humoring. So I went to a private Catholic high school and I had to take a, a test of what kind of human being I was going to be in my senior year. My results, and I'm pretty open about this. My results were so disturbing that the bishop sent four people to speak to me about, did you do this on purpose? Right. I'm like, no, why? Right. And I answered everything, even as an 18 year old kid through the lens of guy who was going into business. Mm. Right. And it literally, I, I love that it was bad enough that the bishop sent representatives. That's my claim to fame at one point in life. Right. But it was hysterical to me because in a lot of ways, I'm still that same guy. <laughs> yeah. And that's an analytical part of your brain that's really um, analyzing the information as you go through it, even when you're test taking. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So the next one is a receptive. So people that are receptive are, um, they're driven by creating new, new paths and new things versus um, the structured on the other side. And I don't think that that is, it's not listed here um, on the indifferent. So it's um, something that it placed you in, in it on a situational, but I think that your score was still like six on the structured. So you don't really like people that um, say things like we have always done it this way could be a stressor for you. Cause you're like, this is, this is 2021. It's time to change. 
Yep, you got it. <laughs> so just being aware too that some some things don't always need to be changed and um, looking at it from that perspective because having the D and the receptive, you could tend to want to create new things and new systems, um, making sure that you're uh, also being aware of the system and how, how it's working. And maybe you don't have to completely revamp it. Maybe it's just some tweaks that make it more efficient. So it's interesting. So both professionally and frankly with my therapist, we, I've had the conversation I've known for the last 10 years that I am not the type of person you put in charge of something that is working. Mm -hmm. I do my best. I build something. You put me in something that doesn't exist or something that is truly broken. And I do it and I build it. And once it's ticking and working for a little while, get me out of there. Because I know, and I tell people this right up front, if it's working, you don't want me to touch it because I will destroy it just to rebuild it. I know I'll set fire to it. So give me a fire. So <laughs> That is cool. And it's so great that you're aware of that so that you can, like you're meant to build. I'm meant to build, I'm meant to restructure. And it, it took a while to get there because I couldn't figure out. If I look at my greatest unhappiness professionally, it's when things were fine and maybe I'm hitting the number and there's no challenge and I'm doing this and I'm making a lot of money but I feel like I'm not, you know, being challenged. I'm not being engaged. I lose interest. Oh, hey, hey, if we took three of the four wheels off, let's see what happens. Oh, now we get to fix it. <laughs> so yeah, that makes perfect sense. And literally as conversations I've had with HR and leadership. And as I said, I'm, you know, with my therapist as well. And I'm like, yep, I know that. I don't know how to change it. Don't know that I want to. <laughs> Yeah, I can really resonate with that. That's a really great way to, to put it. That's one of my, those are one of my top driving forces as well. Um, and then next we have intellectual. So intellectual are people that are driven to learn more information and get more knowledge and more knowledge where the opposite in something that would be maybe a, a stressor for you or people that are instinctive. And people are, that are instinctive tend to want to Google things just to get the information they need. And they might like decide to do lots of Googling and get, get the information, get the information, and then they're done and ready to move on where you need a lot of more information in order to be comfortable with it. Yeah, I, I consume information all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's really strong with you between the intellectual and then the high, um, the high C. Yeah. And so then we're going to move over to the emotional quotient piece. And so um, you have five, EQ has five different quadrants. So you have your self-awareness, um, which is the ability to recognize and understand your moods and emotions and their effect that they have on other people. Um, you have your self-regulation, which is the ability to regulate and control your impulses when you're triggered. Your motivation, which is a motivation to work that goes beyond monetary pleasures. It's just, you really enjoy it. And then social awareness is the ability to understand the emotional makeup of others or empathy. 
And social regulation is building networks and the ability to regulate your emotions with other people. And so the things that where you want to like just have awareness around would be uh, the self-awareness and the social awareness, uh, making sure that you are um, just learning to understand yourself and when you may be triggered and um, it looks like you're able to regulate your emotions, but um, when you're triggered, it could be internally making you stressed. So journaling is a really great way to help with that. <laughs> and um, gauging like um, in the report is, you know, this is like a 61 page report, but the report actually gives like step by step, not step by step, but suggestions on what you can do. But another thing is just on a daily basis, you know, at the end of the day was my, how would I rate my day today from a scale of one to 10? you know, 10 being it was the best day ever, one that it wasn't. And see, um, as you go through, you know, do this for a few weeks, you know, where are your emotions at? And, um, and what were the triggers behind it? And just being aware of that. So again, fascinating for me, because I, for years, I've had people that were friends or peers that said, I know you, but I don't really know anything about you. I've had people call me a dark horse. So the second category in EQ makes perfect sense because in the, even in personal relationships, people say, you just don't react. You don't express anything. And I'm like, um, I have emotions, I think, right? <laughs> um, so th that's not a surprise. Um, the self-awareness, the mission often for me by my own, you know, admission, if you will, is the thing that, you know, yeah, I, I'm going to get to the mission and I may not know what's in the way, right? Take the hill, you know, whether you blow it up, walk over it or dig through it, I don't care, right? Let's get there. So it makes perfect sense because I'm not self-aware. Um, <laughs> motivation's not a shock. <laughs> yeah, your motivation is high, like 90, 98. Yeah, and, and there was the thing in there that, it says I don't do well with boundaries, work-life boundaries, right? And I'm very transparent in the fact that I, I don't, right? When in doubt, work, right? And it's not that I don't love people in my life and have other things, but when in doubt, work, you know, for whatever reason, that's what works for me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as I said, like, I feel like you're pulling from all, like from half of the values, so resourcefulness would be something that you're still pulling from. It's probably still a primary, even though it's not one of the top four, um, which is that, that work, you know, not necessarily having a work-life balance, but people that are resourceful, like they really like to work. They tend to be more of a workaholic. It's th their hobby. And um, I mean, I don't see anything wrong with that as long as you're happy, you know? If that's how you want to spend your hobby, your time off is still like thinking and growing and working, then by all means do it. It's, it's when it's not, um, when it's not productive and it's not healthy in our relationships that it really, you want to be aware of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that, as you step back and I've read enough stories, 
because as we've already determined, I, I consume too much information, um, <laughs> right? But I've read enough stories and I've looked around and I look at some of the people that are work-wise the most successful people. And then you go look behind them at the wake of destruction in their personal lives, right? And I, I can totally get that because they're probably way over here on the work scale. <laughs> so. Was there anything that was on the report that you thought, oh, I would like to know more about that or? You know, the one thing on the report, when I looked, there, there was a bit in some of the readout that I may not make a decision until I had all the information. I found that a little bit baffling, actually. Okay. Well, that could be with your, um, the high C is analytical, so they need lots more information. So, um, you know, what I tell people when I'm doing training for salespeople is, you know, your C is, think of the C as somebody, um, like anytime somebody's buying a house, it brings out their inner C. They want to do an inspection report and, you know, they want to know about the school districts and all this. So, you know, there's going to be times that people are going to need lots more information that the high D doesn't necessarily give out on a regular basis, but you're pulling from both of those, you know, you're pulling from the high D that doesn't need a lot of information. And then the high C that does need more information. So at times people with the higher C can suffer from some analysis paralysis. Um, then you bring in your um, intellectual value where you want more information and you want to study and learn about things, those two things could be pulling in in those times that are like you don't have enough of the right information to make a decision. So, so let me turn this, if you were looking to use this, not just as a salesperson, but to use it to understand your team better, right? And, and the real backstory in this is my first real job in my traditional industry, I took a test three months after I got the job. And it was almost like the high school story. The guy's like, you're doing a great job, but this basically says you're terrible human being, right? Um, <laughs> and it was, you know, and it was all the analytical stuff. It was all the other stuff. It was probably lack of empathy, right? And I've still got the results somewhere. And he came up to me and said, if you'd have taken this when you were supposed to, I'd have never hired you. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and he was a MBA in organizational dynamics and stuff like that. So, you know, the, how I slipped through the cracks <laughs> remains to be seen. But <laughs> um, how would you use this? So let's say I'm taking over a new team and I want to understand the dynamics of the people in the team and also communicate with them on the way I like to be communicated with. And how do we meet in the middle? How could you use DISC in these type of assessments for that? Well, um one, it helps you to understand, first, you got to understand yourself to be able to understand others. And so then you, when you have your team's assessments, um, I actually can put them all on a team report. So you have all the information on one document, which is super helpful to be able to like at a glance, see, okay, I, today I'm working with such and such, or these two people are having challenges working together. Let's look at the data and figure out where the challenges are coming from. Um, another thing that I can do is I can put two people side by side and it shows, okay, this is how I prefer to, you know, this is how Tammy prefers to communicate. This is how Tim prefers to communicate. 
And when you work with them, you can say, okay, well, how accurate is this? Like, what are the top three ways that you prefer to communicate? And you can really get to um, help your team to really feel heard and also to guide them. Okay, so you're going to be in sales you know, you're going to need to be able to tell some stories sometimes to get people to open up to you some friendliness. Um, How can you do that in the best way? And I have some different tools that also, okay, so you're a D selling to the I, this is what you want to do. You want to, you know, let them share stories with you. You want to make sure you're listening to them and, and encouraging feedback and being patient you know, if you are selling to another D, you need to make sure that they're the one that's winning, that they're the one that is kind of taking charge, right? Yeah. Like when you're being sold as a D, you want to be in charge, right? Well, yeah. when you're in the, in the sales part, you need to make sure that you're letting them win because when they win, you win. Yeah. Have um, you seen people use this interdepartmentally, like sales and finance or sales and marketing and, and how to improve relationships inside a company that way yes yes because they're so different right they're the opposites and you know I talk about this a lot but even in families my son is my opposite so having the report and having the data on that and being able to be like okay before I jump into something I need to make sure that I'm asking him how his day is going you know, even though my mind that thinks really quickly and I'm like, let's get to business. No, slow down, slow down, be patient. You know, how's your day? What's going on? Okay. This is what I need for you to put on your list to help me with Mm -hmm. because then he feels nurtured and that's a huge win. I, I want to raise my kids to be who they're here to be, not who I expect them to be. And I think that the science really helped me a lot with that. Your background, you work a lot in the real estate and the finance side of that industry. Can you talk about how folks have applied that to their business? Mm-hmm. Uh, I worked with a um, like some mortgage originators, but um, helping them to understand, okay, so who is your ideal client? And typically... Um, typically our best referral partners are going to be really similar to us because that's the easiest relationships, people that you don't really have to adapt into somebody else's style. You can just, you know, you flow, right? Yeah. Well, that's all good and well, but if you want to grow your business, you have to be able to adapt into other people's styles so that they feel more comfortable with you. And sometimes the people, especially if you're more of a, like a nurturer, you know, the high S, you know, the D's tend to be the, the team leaders. And so you have the D up here that maybe has five or six different um, buyer's agents on there. So getting that appointment is going to look different when you're, when you're somebody, a different style. So understanding your own style and then how to communicate better with the other styles is a really great way to build your business. So I want to kind of bring the two together. So how do you work that balance? And I know your son's involved in the business, but how do you work the balance of what you know from this in a personal way versus a professional way? Um, well, 
So I'm, you know, my, I'm a high DI. So personal relationships and my referral partners all tend to be like an extension of my family, okay. you know, friends and stuff. But um, so I don't see a huge, I don't see a huge disconnect in it. Honestly, I feel like if you can treat the people that you're working with as an extension of your family and always like work to make them feel seen and heard, then you're going to win more deals in the end just by being that way. So I'll use my personal situation again. So in my case, in business, you're right. I absolutely want to make every decision, but I also know I'm a hammer. Sometimes I'm a rocket launcher or a missile too. Um, so my personal life, I tend to step back and go, yeah, it doesn't matter. What do you, what do you want? What works? Right. And it drives people crazy because they're like, you never make a decision. No, I made 32,000 decisions today. I'm just not making this decision. <laughs> right. <laughs> and yeah. for me personally, that's the toughest transition. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially because I, again, I, I know if the minute I decide what we should do, that's what I want to do. <laughs> You're like, okay, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. We said this, we're going there, get in the car. What do you mean you need seven more minutes? <laughs> right. Yeah. And so at home, that's a little, a little harder. It's a hard balance for me personally. Yeah. <laughs> it's harder at home. And a lot of times um, what we tend to do in relationship is we find, you know, we're, att- we're attracted to that opposite of us. Right. And um, that <laughs> just another room (laughs) um we're attracted to um somebody that's different than us and so um how do we make that relationship work better when we're you know when we're we want to be ourselves because at home you want to really be yourself right and that comes into making sure that your values are more aligned i'm gonna have to go shut that off i'm so sorry no you're good go for it Was that in a God of Davida? <laughs> ah, so, um, for whatever reason, I have a 145 alarm every day. And even though I like turn my phone on silent and put it into the other room, um, I didn't even think about that alarm. Oh, well, <laughs> I have a bunch of alarms. I have no idea what they're for, and they go off from time to time. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So how would people, um, what size companies typically engage you? What size companies can benefit what you do? So I work with sales teams that can be anywhere from, you know, five to 10 people up to, I've done training for about 40, 40, 50 people at a time where I come in and I teach the disc and then I sit down with um, the sales manager to really help them to understand their people, give them all the data and how to read the data so that they're able to um, motivate their people in a way that really helps them to grow and be productive, get results. And do you have people that kind of from the salesperson or the employee level that kind of push back and go, wait, wait, you know, I don't, you know, they're afraid they're being analyzed, they're being reevaluated in a way outside of their job or anything like that? 
I have not had that now. Um, I have had, so I love when I can get even some operation people and when I'm doing the training so that uh, I can help the, t uh, the team to understand their support staff and how to better communicate with the support staff. And so I've had to wear the support staff may not have been all excited about putting that into their schedule to, you know, to take 30 minutes to take the test. <laughs> the salespeople tend to be open to understanding themselves so that they can win more deals. Win more. Yeah. It, yeah. The, the, the easiest person to sell to is a salesperson, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, they want to get better. You know, and this helps you get better and understand how to understand your, your audience in a better way. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what other advice can you offer if people are really thinking about how do I understand myself better? How do I understand my teams better? We've talked about this. We've talked about you. I know you probably do some other things that we haven't gotten to yet. So I'm trying to draw those out. Okay. Um, so I do have, I I actually have five different sciences. Well, five different mainstream sciences. And then I do an, another science that's called human design, which is a little more on the woo side. So I don't know about that, talking about that today, but um, it's a pretty interesting one that uh, I'm right now gathering data and then looking at the sciences side by side to really see how, um, when it's based on astrology and our birth charts and things like that. Okay. on how um, how close we are to where where we were as a child and how much we've been conditioned to be different. And so that's one, one thing. Um, one of the other sciences that you didn't see is called acumen, which is clarity of thoughts. And so it show, really shows in six different ways, um, your worldview and your self-view on how you look at systems and people and, you know, in the world around us and how, how much clarity do you have in your mind on this? And um, I think that that's, that's my newest certification and it's pretty interesting. You only take a test that um, you organize 18 statements twice um, from most uh, most important down to least important. And then it comes up with this report and shows how clear, clear your thoughts are. And the person that developed it, um, Robert Hartman, won a, a Nobel, Nobel Peace Prize for this work. And I, he's got a really fascinating story. Um, and then core competencies. So your 25 soft skills that really show you um, how great of a leader you are and you know, how much resiliency you have. Um, and keep in mind that this is all self, you know, you're taking all this stuff and, and you're analyzing yourself, but typically the results come back really pretty, pretty accurate. And what I can do is take all this information and put it into a custom like development plan to help people to really hone their skills. To me, it sounds like a different approach to a 360 review on an individual. Mm -hmm. And I can do 360 reviews through my assessment provider. I've only done that once, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've been reviewed. I've reviewed many. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> interesting. Interesting process for sure. It is. It is. It, and it's interesting how you're, in my case, perceived at different levels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's very eye-opening. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for being here today. We've got links to Unleash Your Amazing in the show notes for anybody who's listening and wants to check out and learn more. Is there anywhere else they should get in touch with you? Um, you know, I'm on social media. You can look me up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Timmy Ebright. Fantastic. Thanks for the time. Okay. Thank you, Tim.